essentially what building saying and our, our mission at saying is to build the future of how we discover, create and share ideas and knowledge online. Welcome to the Thriving on Overload podcast. I am Ross Dawson, futurist and entrepreneur fascinated by how human minds create value from information and author of the book Thriving on Overload. Every week, I speak to incredible people who share how they use unlimited information to create massive value and keep ahead of accelerating change. If you want to learn more about this valuable topic, go to thrivingonoverload.com, which includes podcast episodes and transcripts, excerpts from the book, articles. You can sign up for our weekly Tips for Thriving newsletter to help you improve your habits. And there are also details on the Thriving on Overload interactive course, which guides you through the journey of amplifying your information productivity. That's thrivingonoverload.com. Building on my work on Thriving on Overload, I'm also focusing on the theme of humans plus AI to help massively augment your productivity using artificial intelligence. If you want access to a raft of resources, frameworks, guides, and tutorials, just go to humansplustechnology.com. If you find this episode useful, please do take just 10 seconds to hop into iTunes or whatever app you're using to listen to this to give the podcast a rating or a quick review. These are all free resources. It would be massively helpful to me to make this project feasible and also help others to make this easier to find. On this episode, we learn from Ida Josefina, a self-described infopunk and the founder of the very interesting information social playground, Sane. You can find more on her work at sane.fyi or by searching for her. It's I-D-A-J-O-S-E-F-I-I-N-A. And in this episode, you will learn about infopunk, infinite knowledge graphs, spatial interfaces, the shapes of knowledge, and far more. Keep listening to learn from Ida's fascinating perspectives. Ida, it's a delight to have you on the show. Thanks so much for having me on, Ross. Happy to be here. So you have described yourself as an infopunk. Tell me, what's an infopunk? Well, an infopunk is actually, I have to give my co-founder, Tina, credit for that term. She's the one who came up with it originally. But um, I guess the term came up when we were thinking a lot about the sort of type of persona or way of um, identifying yourself when you're really interested in thinking about thinking and challenging some traditional information dynamics or architecture and sort of alter um, embracing a more alternative approach to seeking knowledge and being in the pursuit of ideas. And for me, I guess my background is I've never gone to university. um, So I haven't had like the most traditional educational upbringing in that sense. So I really relate with that. Um, The the sentiment of an infopunk, which is a little bit of a rebel, um, but very much in the pursuit of ideas and knowledge. So alternative ways of seeking knowledge. So what are some of those alternatives? Honestly, I guess it's just like whatever you feel like. I mean, I I don't, I'm not prescriptive about it at all. Um, Maybe it, but I guess it just like boils down to being really curious and being really connected with the world, whatever that means to you. So um, yeah, I don't know. It's something that's a constant sort of- Following your own instincts, just as opposed to any prescribed uh, courses for information. seeking and so on. Exactly. And I think that has a lot to do with just 
being open-minded and sort of trying to maintain that open-mindedness, which I think is so much harder than maybe it sounds, is to like uh, constantly keep thinking that the world is much bigger than you imagine it to be. And there's so much to discover and explore, et cetera. So yeah, I would say like maybe just boils down to curiosity and beyond that, um, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty personal thing. Well, no doubt you have found in your journeys some interesting ways to to seek for seek and find knowledge and information, and uh, you know I hope to get to those in a little bit. We talked about this thinking about thinking, and so thinking tools are sort of part of the vernacular now. And you know, just love to hear, I suppose, your this you know some of your thoughts around how do you think about thinking? What are some of the the frameworks that we can apply to how it is we think usefully. Yeah. Um, I've always been really passionate about trying to find ways in which other people, um, all kinds of people could be maybe like have some kind of access points or more channels or opportunities to think about thinking, because I think thinking about thinking has also to do with sort of reflecting on existence. And I think reflecting on existence is something that is so important and so interesting because it makes us, I think, somehow very cognizant about how special it is to be alive. And when we're very cognizant of that, I think it somehow feels, at least to me, like quite empowering and something to be very grateful for and to sort of, it moves me at least. So it's like thinking about thinking thing, I think is like, um, yeah, like I've gone through several different sort of pathways of, of trying to find mechanisms or ways in which I could pass on these sort of like cool, interesting ideas that I've somehow discovered or someone's passed down to me that has moved me to start sort of like think to, to think about thinking and reflecting on existence. And um, I honestly just don't think that we have enough of that available for, um, for a large group or population of people, that they seem to be somehow sort of siloed away, whether it's in academia or in tools that are quite inaccessible or somehow sort of like out of reach for a lot of people. So I think breaking down some of those walls and figuring out different kinds of mechanisms and ways for people to have access to that um, I think is really interesting. Yeah, there's a recently came across some research showing that there is a different brain areas involved with metacognition. So there's actually specific parts of the brain that we used for thinking about thinking as opposed to just normal thinking. Yeah, and you know this this also just relates to uh, yeah, Socrates, yeah, who said uh, the unexamined life is not worth living, and that's that's part of it. You know, you're you're thinking about who you are, what it is to be alive, what it is to think. And that's a something which we don't have enough of. Yeah, I completely agree. I had when I had COVID for the first time, uh, more than a year ago, um, and it was sort of in that like brain fog of COVID, uh, maybe like four or five days in that I was sitting in front of my bookshelf and I was just like staring at all the books and my mind was working like super slowly and I took a book and instead of reading the book I decided to just like read a page and I thought about how it was like for a really long time and I, I started thinking a lot about how I was like meditating on the words rather than reading and it's kind of the same action as like reading because I'm consuming something literary with my mind but it was different because I let every word like sink in and I thought about how I felt and I thought about different things that related to that 
Um, and so I've been thinking a lot about like the term meditative thinking, like what that also means. And if you can practice like a different type of thinking by thinking differently, <laughs> the word thinking is going to be mentioned in this podcast, probably like 563,000 <laughs> times. But, um, that was like a, an interesting experience. I feel like I actually maybe learned more from studying that one page than I would have by reading 50 pages in that moment in time. <laughs> What that evokes for me actually is is the almost the tangibility of words. I mean, a word has a meaning, but it's if you're spending that time with it, as opposed to you're like skimming across, you know, a million words. Like you know, a word has it's something you can touch and feel. You know. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And because you can start thinking a lot about how sort of like certain phrases or decisions on how someone's decided to structure language and what it makes you think about and what they could have mean by it. So it's just like, I feel like there's a whole world to discover in a single page in a book, you know, it's like very interesting. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, so we have the uh, slow food. So instead of fast food, you've got slow food. Maybe um, we should go to slow reading as opposed to uh, speed reading. Yeah. <laughs> so you have a company, a very interesting company called Sane. And I'd love to hear the journey because it sounds like it has been already a journey and uh, still continuing. So, so perhaps, perhaps you can start at the beginning as to how it started and how that, uh, that's evolving. Yeah, well... I mean, I guess the whole journey, if I if I would summarize, it started when I was 15 and we moved to um, Finnish Lapland, where I'm originally from, from California. And I, it was just quite hard for me because I was like, a, I, you know, I grew up for six years before that in the San Francisco Bay Area in California. And we moved um, to Lapland, which was quite different. And uh, well, long story short, I became like super existential. I just started thinking a lot about things like, why am I here? Like, this is insane. Like, what is life? Where is everything going? And well, through that, I discovered the concept or the field of study of existential risks. And I've just never stopped thinking about that. So I've done a lot of different kinds of things since then. I started my career first working in politics and then um, a bit later in tech and kind of bounced around a lot, um, moved to China and different parts of Europe, etc. And then ended up back in Silicon Valley working at a data aggregation software company. And, uh, well, I started thinking a lot about the role of data and information in existential threats and the future of humanity. And through that, just basically came to the conclusion um, that collective intelligence or thinking about, like, the sort of foundational um, problem uh, above all the other problems is like the most important thing that we should be really thinking about because without that it's going to be very difficult for us to solve any individual existential risks such as climate change or AI alignment or whatever it may be. So without you said that so what's that? Without, without like without without finding a better way that we can as a society work together think together collaborate together so that we don't keep 
coming up with new existential risks that we sort of like heal the foundational layer because it's quite telling that before 1953, I'm not sure if we had any existential risks. And then we did the first like atomic bomb test with the Oppenheimer, um, Oppenheimer's Manhattan project, not knowing like 100% for sure that we wouldn't ignite the entire atmosphere in fire. So I think it's just like pretty telling that we're living in this like very much in this age of heightened risk, etc. So um, yeah, so I'm I'm not like I'm not entirely optimistic that even if we solve like one of these like big sort of threats we're facing, that it's gonna put us into any sort of like safer situation when it comes to our future. So I'm really obsessed with working on sort of like what I think is the foundational layer, which is collective intelligence. And I see the internet as a massive opportunity in uh, in making like a very big difference and and significant progress in uh, working on this problem. So that's why uh, essentially we're building Sane, and our our mission at Sane is to build the future of how we discover, create, and share ideas and knowledge online. That's awesome. Yeah, no, collective intelligence being a central theme to central almost all my work. And the one one thing I'd, I'd say there is around. Um, shared mental models and aligned mental models. And I think, you know, even in groups, small groups, you know, that that's can be hard. And that becomes obviously harder as you move across cultures and countries and you know, political uh, yeah, political parties and so on. But uh, yeah, I think yeah, I absolutely agree with you. Until we can align to whatever degree or shift towards more common ways of thinking, then yes, the risks are going to be uh, massive. Yeah. Yeah. And somehow I, I like the sort of the way that I've, I've started thinking about it, or I guess just my approach to trying to solve the problem is really kind of going more towards the indirect ways of contributing to co- collective intelligence, which I think has a lot to do with just curiosity and creating opportunities and space for people to play with ideas and to sort of like, um, fall down interesting rabbit holes and to feel like they have avenues for self-expression and that they have something to say that matters. And I think like somehow since the, you know, inception of social media, I think it's the first time in which we don't really have those spaces because all of these different platforms have become very like weird (laughs) in many ways um so i I do feel like when we're not self-expressing and when we're not sharing um it's a tool problem not a human problem because i do think that all of us have something to say and something to self-express so what is saying what what is it as a product someone goes in goes on and has a look what do they what do they see what do they experience yeah. Well, we're in private alpha right now, so people can't really go and have a look yet, but they can sign up to the to request early access. But essentially, it's a social platform, social knowledge sharing platform on a spatial interface. So people go insane to build um, what we call spaces. Um, so on these spaces, you can create these sort of like uh, minimalist knowledge graphs to showcase any type of idea or knowledge. So one like very simple use case of that could be like, I could create sort of like an about me space on saying, so it would be like, you know, Hey, I'm Ida in like a text note. Like I really care about, 
um, you know, the future. And I consider myself to be existentially hopeful and I can connect like a PDF that talks about existential hope there. And I can say, you know, like add a picture of my grandmother's house in Lapland where I grew up and being like, this is where I grew up, um, spent my summers. And I started thinking about X and Y. And so I can combine different sort of images, video, text, um, audio, PDFs, et cetera, and um, visually organize them to show not just what I think, but how I think. So it's quite an uh, efficient and I think quite dynamic and forgiving way of organizing and creating and curating ideas rather than having to uh, do it in like a linear chronological format where you have to structure ideas in a very specific way. So what are some of the contrasts with the, the brain? What do you mean? Uh, the software product, the brain. Oh yeah, yeah, that? yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess the brain is like um, it's really like a knowledge. I, first of all, I've never used the brain, so I can't really speak in term in detail for it. But from what I've just seen, it's just like this infinite knowledge graph of everything. And on saying it's more like you're building like quite a minimalist um, space to showcase some kind of idea. Like you can create as many spaces as you want. So one is like, maybe I have my about me space and maybe I have a space that's like my random collection of research on, let's say thinking about thinking. And I, it's really more of like as a, as a way of like blogging that has to do more with curation rather than just creation and being able to mix medias as a sort of like central media um, so yeah, I wouldn't, it's, I mean, it definitely meets like the, the sort of like principles and ideas of knowledge management, but really with the, the intention of it being social and as a way of sharing information, collaborating with others and, and ultimately publishing. So you called it spatial. Does that mean that it uh, goes beyond two dimensions as a interface? Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> but you're going to get there? I don't know. Um, it's, I mean, it's something that I'm definitely interested in, like just as an idea, but um, we're not there yet in terms of roadmap. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm very, very keen on, I uh, actually had a company, a 3D information interface company quite some time ago. Oh, wow. And, and that's a, um, you know, the, the very short story there is, it's still astoundingly 2023. We're still really just at the beginning of exploring the, the use cases for 3D, uh, you know, information visualization and interfaces. It's I kind of thought we would have been further along by now, and I think part of it is that what seems cool and interesting is not necessarily as functional, functional and as usable as you might think. But there are still some really strong use cases, and so I'll certainly be uh, trying to play some more in that space. Yeah, I'm still not entirely sure if we're like we're ready to put on the headsets, you know, like that's something that I'm like I I that that is where like my resistance comes in with like thinking about really doing something in um, augmented reality. But that being said, if we can sort of like get around that or find a more comfortable way of existing in like 3D spaces, I'm really interested in in that. But that's still I think we're still like a little bit away from that and i think that there's a lot of building and thinking that we can do that's sort of like in between the sort of 2d and 3d world so uh, like well, i think we're just getting used to sort of like working with spatial interfaces on a 2d in a 2d environment
different. So like thinking about like the Figma, Miro, Sains of the world where you are like not in this sort of like linear chronological model, but you have, you're in a space, a spatial interface, but it's not just 3D yet. You are listening to the Thriving on Overload podcast. If you truly want to increase your information productivity, then check out the Thriving on Overload interactive course. It is designed to significantly enhance your information practices and habits, guiding you through creating your own personal information plan so you can excel in a world of overload. Go to thrivingonoverload.com slash course to find out more. Now back to the show. You've uh, used a phrase called the, the shapes of knowledge. I'd love to hear what you mean by that. What does that mean by you when you say shapes of knowledge? I mean, to be honest, I don't, I'm really bad at giving definitions for any kind of specific terms. They're what more like... What comes into mind? What is, what's, what's in your head when you say that? I, I guess I see like this sort of room with different ideas uh, that turn into sort of like yeah, or like maybe like a house with different rooms with different ideas and all the rooms feel a little bit different to one another and they have a certain shape to them because the idea has a certain like sort of feeling and sentiment and then you find all of these different objects that sort of relate with that um, idea or in this metaphor, the, the room um, that sort of belong in that room. So. I don't know. I, I, my, a friend of mine was asking me like, how am I a visual thinker? And I, and I said, I don't really know. I feel like I'm like a more of like a, 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 I think through feeling and then the feelings turn into something visual as sort of a translation, but it's not maybe like the primary first thing. So the shapes of knowledge is maybe that as well. It feels more like an exploration of different rooms that have different objects that relate to those rooms that then turn into these, like in this metaphor, the shapes of knowledge. Um, so yeah, I think like, and I think that there's something like in the word knowledge as well that's um, different than you know, in information. Like we we've been talking about how like, you know, like we can think about data that turns into information when there's like an added layer that information turns into knowledge and knowledge turns into wisdom because you add these sort of components of sensitivity and complexity to it that ultimately turn that data into wisdom when you've processed it correctly. Um, yeah. So I think about that when it comes to like, like knowledge and wisdom, that it's more than just the data or information. It, it has this sort of like sentiment and context and added layer of human complexity to it. Yeah. Well, it's, it's uh, almost akin to a synesthesia in the sense of, you know, as you say, the feeling for uh, you know the, what I was saying before around tangibility of of, of words or yeah. concepts or semantics, exactly. And but I mean, if you're talking about rooms, though, then that that is a spatial metaphor. Yeah, so it means so. that you are actually you know you are imagining moving through space to um, look at that. So so one of the we were just chatting before we we st- uh, started recording about how scene is evolving. And part of it, I think, was around that a lot of the thinking tools which are out there at the moment are not for the masses. And just love to, you know, hear you know, hear where your reflections on, I suppose, how that's influencing where saying is evolving and 
you know, where, where thinking tools are today and where they might need to go more generally. Yeah. Yeah. I guess like what I was saying earlier, like, I just feel really passionate about um, people that might not so easily always have access to certain cool things that have, I feel like when I come across certain like ideas or concepts, like I'm really into thinking about the hard problem of consciousness, for example. And when I discovered that as a, as a concept, as an idea, I just was so pissed off that I didn't know about it before <laughs> and because I didn't go to university and I feel like I didn't have certain sort of like pathways that I could have like more easily um, found out some of these ideas that like just like transformed the way that I like relate or think with the world that I just want more people to be able to sort of like play with ideas and have access to them and I just I just think that that doesn't happen by creating these tools for tinkers or tinkers creating more tools for tinkers. Um, that's great, but it's not the thing that I, I want to do or I care about. I care about like finding ways that um, we can sort of like take some of these like mechanisms that are available to a certain subset of um, people uh, and sort of make them accessible and feel magical and easy to approach so that um a lot more people could sort of like have these same feelings or realizations or um, capabilities or playing with ideas and, and knowledge. Um, so that's really the direction that Sane is heading to. I think blogging is like a great example of that. It allowed a lot of people to sort of play with. And when I talk about ideas and knowledge, I don't mean like something strictly academic or like intellectually important i mean honestly anything it's just like um a way of relating with with ideas so i think blogging was like such a great example of that like when i was like 11 or 12 like i was really into blogger and i would just write these like really stupid blog posts about absolutely nothing like eating ice cream or something like that you know they're just like but it made me feel good it made me feel like i had something to say something to communicate and um, so with saying like, we're sort of like thinking a lot about blogging and how we can sort of reinvent it and bring it to sort of like a modern age and even further democratize access to who feels like they can blog. Like blogging doesn't just have to be about writing linear long format text. It could be about curation, about connection, about playing with things like how one idea relates with, an with another, maybe with some kind of very intellectual basis for why that is, or maybe not, maybe it's just intuition. So, um, I think that there's a lot to sort of like explore within this realm of possibilities and that's that's what we're doing with saying so more generally in the thinking tools space or i suppose software or tools i mean is there anything else which you think is interesting in terms of either products or developments or things which are shifting which you know people should uh be aware of? I, I think that there's a lot of people, a lot of uh, founders who are building in this space that I'm really happy for. And I, I think that the future is going to look a lot less like very big tech where it's a concentration of like just a couple of platforms that we're all operating on. And it's going to be a lot more distributed. Um, worked with this concept called collective media so we we like launched this sort of initiative with a group of other founders there's about 14 other founders and, and companies who are all working within sort of defining the future of social so we've been calling it collective media and it really sort of stands for having alternative sort of avenues for creating space for play and exploration and doing that with other people on the internet. I feel quite lucky to be sharing this time and space with other people who are building with sort of similar principles in mind. So I think you've pretty fairly expressed in, in our conversation the you know what what an infopunk is and you're very 
individual perspective on uh, you know information, information navigation, and how it is we can uh, align ideas. And I'd love to just get some suggestions, recommendations, thoughts for anyone who's listening around some habits, some practices, some things they can try that they might find useful or enlightening as they uh, navigate a, a world of unlimited information out there. Yeah. Um, I feel like I'm really not good at giving tips for habits or things that people should do because I don't do anything myself that I probably should. But I think what I would say is that go read writers and books and ideas that have to do with reflecting on existence. I think that that is so incredibly important. And if anything, it'll probably just make you feel grateful for being here in this period of space and time coexisting with the people that you're coexisting with. And for me, at least, it's been such um, a factor of motivation and desire to participate in this society as it as it is today. So that's something that I would really recommend people to do. There's like a great amount of literature that really thinks about, you know, existence and consciousness and what it means to be and feel. Um, what I mentioned earlier, the hard problem of consciousness like I just loved um, studying studying that so if you just google hard problem of consciousness and read about the literature there there's like the first paper like what it means to be a bat that's a great way to get started on just like thinking about all these like crazy existential things so any uh, can you just suggest a few books that you found useful or enjoyable in that space yeah I mean go read the paper what it means to be a bat uh, I like this other paper called Sharing the World with Digital Minds by Nick Bostrom, just because that was also like a crazy sort of like mind bending uh, experience of like imagining something so insane <laughs> and somehow beautiful and extraordinary. And then if you're interested in like thinking about sort of existential risks and the potential of like the future of humanity, I would also recommend reading The Precipice by Toby Ward. Um, the concept of existential hope, for example, is something that he's written about and he has a paper on that um, that sort of just defines the term. So um, yeah, I think like those are probably ones to get started with. And uh, I was just, I've been listening to your podcast, which I've been greatly enjoying. And I can't remember the the... Anders Sandberg, actually, I think it was, yeah. um, who was talking about the, the grand future, was it? Yeah, grand futures, yeah. Which uh, basically, which uh, sounds like uh, existential hope on a on as big a scale as you can possibly imagine. Exactly. I think he's writing a book about that now that should be published in some time not too distant of a future, so I'm really excited for that one. So any things you'd like to share advice thoughts requests yeah i mean i would love you guys can all head to sane.fyi and check out what we're doing over there request access to our early beta we're going to be um launching sort of more towards the public ish in june of this year so i'm excited about getting all kinds of freaky info punks on the platform creating spaces about anything and everything interesting so if that's something that would interest you like happy to also like already onboard people now and start creating spaces for those that might be that might be interested so just um yeah same.fyi and also like i'm available at ida at same.fyi over email if anyone has any questions ideas thoughts always happy to spark well, I, I'd uh, 
suggest there's there's probably a few uh, info punks uh, listening. <laughs> so I'm, I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> so thank you so much for your time, Eder. It's been really really enjoyable, and uh, it's it's kind of this uh, exploration, you know, this ideas and bouncing things around, and uh, and I'd love to you know keep in touch and to see what you can doing with sane because uh very aligned with the mission and uh want to do all i can do to support it yeah thank you so much ross really appreciate your time and having me on great conversation thank you for listening to the show if you want more resources to help you thrive in a world of exponential information go to thrivingonoverload.com where you can find all podcast episodes transcripts show notes excerpts from my book thriving on overload the thriving on overload interactive course and a trove of other useful content and resources including a weekly tips for thriving newsletter to keep across it all if you like this episode please do help us be found by giving us a rating or review and subscribe if you'd like to hear more this is ross dawson thank you for listening have a wonderful day